Hey there, if you would like ad-free and early versions of these episodes, as well as bonus episodes, movie club episodes, and lots more, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Make believe is not pretend, we might be but we're on the mend. It never starts, it never ends, welcome to Craig and Friends, welcome to Craig and Friends, welcome to... Levels, guest list, <laughs> Shit, that, that, models. Yeah, yeah, do you want some? Uh, do you want some smoked salmon or just some nibbly things? <laughs> I love that. I'll tell you, it's like I was in. I guess ten years ago, I was in Provincetown, but I had gotten food poisoning, and I was. I had to stay. I li- it just. It took three days, and there was again no nothing. I could not fast forward. I had to watch. And I rewatched all of Roseanne. It just, it was on. So I watched oh. it every day. Roseanne, uh, that sitcoms hold, the old ones hold up so well. Yeah. And somewhere I recently, I, about 10 years, 15 years ago, I rewatched Abfab and every episode is still, dr- I mean, it's drop dead funny. That's it's one show so that never, funny. ever rotted. No, never aged. They waited for the movie to stink it up. Yeah. <laughs> Movie's terrible. Yes. yes. Awful. Did they? Uh, yeah, I think I saw one of the movies, and yeah. then Debbie was in the lab. Debbie Harry was singing the theme. Remember? Yeah, she was in the movie because, or no, maybe it was, Wait, was a it series. The I think it was they a went series. to New York yeah. and then they wound up. The at New York Squeeze one was great. Box. Yeah. That's right. And Rufus Wainwright shows up. Yeah, I and loved all that. that. Yeah, that was really good. And then there was a couple other cameos in that. And then when they revived it, it was great. The yes. Christmas shows and yes. all of that. It didn't last long enough. It was no kind of aborted. But that's always the British way. They yeah. always keep it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see Mirrorball? I think it was a pilot that, that Saunders and uh, Lumley did. I think I've heard it, mm-hmm. but n- like I was saying, I've slowed down in my investigation of seeking out new <laughs> oh, no, entertainment. This is, but this is from, is from ages ago. I remember oh, yeah. I have a VHS of it. Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah. okay. So it's maybe 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was looking at your love boat with Terry Hatcher <laughs> because I was sharing that all my, you know, uh, former da- dancers that I still work with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, find Terry Hatcher. Mm-hmm. And he's, and I'm like, and check it out. And we're just like, oh, I love that choreography. And she was really good. She was really she good. She actually, her, because she's so thin and her little skinny arms, suit that sheena easton strut song and yeah. again it, that was just like wow yeah. i was living for that me too i, I love to be reminded of that love boat <laughs> Re- that was like the sec was that the first revamp of love boat it was the it was the dying days of love boat it was, it was sind- season nine see so that was the original and they, they did have ted mcginley they did uh, during that time yes and remember when the girl I know we both love and Michelle from Blame It on Rio. Oh, my Michelle God. Johnson, oh who my I God. love. Blame It on Rio. Who I believe was an aerobics instructor, so I can identify. That's wild. That. So wait, the girl from Blame It on Rio was uh, wound aer- up on Love Boat 2. <gasps> and she was also one of my favorite celebrity sightings in Beverly. You uh, and saw her in all person? places. I saw her in Beverly Hills when I was uh, <laughs> after I had finished teaching a cycling class in century city i saw her at the baja fresh oh <laughs> <laughs> this is and very she looked exclusive fan i mean 
she's uh, she didn't look like plastic surgery you know yeah. she looked fantastic uh, and you know she's in De- uh death becomes her i did not no know one, that she gets no credit but she's super funny she's the esthetician oh my god who's, okay who's 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 speak we women that you know and she's she's the friend you know they're at the spa with you and then all of a sure. sudden meryl streep goes into the room and starts you know having a breakdown and all of a sudden she's like Mr. Johnson, she's like losing her mind. The French is gone. Oh wow, and that's she's her putting on a really fun comic character. So yeah, I there are not- a lot of really great goddesses in that movie. Yeah, you know, Blame It on Rio is a movie that needs intense discussion because it is the most inappropriate movie. We should do a movie club on that sometime. I yeah, I love Blame It on Rio. <laughs> But to tan to, to tangent, that's all the show that, is. You know that. You know, speaking yeah. of like uncomfortable and inappropriate, we were watching De Palma's mm. Obsession the uh, other day. I love talk about like let's just put incest right <laughs> in the foreground of everything, and it is. It's such a wonderful movie, and the score, Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. It's the score is so wonderful. But it's just, you know, the whole time, you know, and Cliff Robertson is just creep, creepy, oh, creepy, creepy. so creepy. You know, and um, mm-hmm. I had gotten the Blu-ray, so I had listened to a lot of documentaries, and he was really putting it to Jean-Vierre Bouchold, you know, kind of, you know, like when you'll do turnaround mm-hmm. for her close-ups, and then he's got to be there to read his lines yeah. with her, and yeah. he's giving no emotion, not really, really, act, you know, and really being, you know, all those old actor tricks, or like you he know, was trying to screw her, really over. trying to fuck her up because she was gonna, she was walking away with the movie because yeah. she, you know, yeah, hit, and so he did babe, all those things of like trying to get in her light, oh, and yeah. all that shit, and meanwhile he's got that insane mop of Brillo pad hair that literally unwinds in one action scene <laughs> yes. where i think he's you know not to ruin the movie but he's fighting with john lithgow yeah and uh it literally is like rapunzel but just you know more like my my hair you know it's just you know well it's a more it's a more uh mysterious comb over than even donald trump's it's it, it and it la you know and, and it went on you know through i think he was one like robert forster who went ahead and had plugs or transplants because it was the same it's the same hair that was in superman the toby Maguire superman movies yeah you know so but yeah it's funny you mentioned robert forster i just saw walking the edge for the first time i saw that that fun city editions that yeah Yeah. i'm excited i have never seen that either you will like Uh, it well i robert forster was my dream guy and i have to well since i always knew about him but Mm -hmm. Jackie Brown when he was older and that character just that yeah. movie was well the Poseidon Adventure was the first movie that just changed my life yeah and I was only I was I think I was only in the first grade mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until Jackie Brown that I was like I deeply identify with this movie yeah the female characters all the sure. female characters in Poseidon Adventure all the female characters in Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown but I was absolutely in love with Robert Forster and then when I moved to LA that was right 98 Jackie Brown 97 right when I moved to LA I started seeing Robert Forster I would see him driving down Fountain Avenue 
all the time. Oh, wow. Okay. And I would recognize the green car. I can't remember exactly the, you know, the make and model, make or and anything, model. But-, but he would always wait, you know, always nod because I would make a point like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he probably dug that. He was just really cool. Some people aren't so cool. I've had other encounters like Kristen Chenoweth, not so much. Really? But, now, what was the know, uncool Ch- Chenoweth? Uh, oh, well, I had met, I had actually been in her, um, townhouse mm-hmm. that was you know when she was in town doing a series or something and i drove a beat up old 1981 280zx with t-tops you know okay. and the windows down yeah so you know i'm probably sweating got a you know tank top on <laughs> what would you, and what would you be blasting at the time well you know uh the unfortunate thing is my uh car stereo was stolen you oh. know only a couple of years after i got sure you know uh, and they had also stole the radio. It, well, they stole the car and they stole the radio. Oh, but you got the car the back. iPod that was in the back. Oh, oh finally. Yeah, yeah. They left it over on heliotrope. <laughs> they hot wired it with a pair of scissors. Wow. Yes. So you can steal a 280ZX. You can hot wire 280ZX apparently. Uh, uh, 81 280ZX, probably not the, uh, later new, models, later yeah. models, but, but if you're, if you're in need, scissors, you got a pair of if scissors, if you're drunk, if you're in Hollywood, yeah. uh, don't feel like walking home to heliotrope, <laughs> just find it. <laughs> Unfortunately, you don't see a lot of two, you know, when I first moved to LA, they were everywhere and there was this one super cool, like I just called them the Hollywood rock couple. They were a guy and a girl. She was blonde. They were older. He still had his dark rocker hair. Yeah. And they had a gold 81 280ZX, two-tone gold. And I had a black with gold trim. And we would pass, speaking of just passing celebrities, we would pass each other and would always be like, mm-hmm. yes, we rule. We are the coolest, yeah. best, sexiest looking motherfuckers in Hollywood. <laughs> I even had an Adidas track suit uh-huh. that matched the 280. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I was trying to get Kristen Chenoweth's attention, but she, she was not, not interested, yeah. did not. And then she put her sunglasses on and started looking at her phone. Inside How her dare house. her look at her phone it, was this in while her you're house? driving. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> the very stop sign. I see. So, yes. Uh, I would say if you want to see your best celebrity uh, spot to look for celebrities mm-hmm. would be Crescent Heights and Fountain. Okay. Yeah. Good yeah. spot. Cause that's where, you know, rest, rest his soul. Robert Forrester, you know, didn't he go to the same place to have coffee every morning? I don't know. You know, you would always hear like Sally Kirkland would always be at silver spoons or Shelly winters mm-hmm. and, um, things like that. Did you ever um, go to Kathy Moriarty's pizza place? I literally had a, I, I dated a guy that lived on Mulberry Street just mm-hmm. above Houston, and I freaking love Kathy Moriarty like nobody's business. Sure. White of the eye. White of the eye. I just saw that dish. for the first time recently. Oh, I love White of the Eye. Freaked out. Great. It's the greatest. And it's a weird period film. Yeah. Because it's late 80s but they're doing the 70s and you kind of you know you almost need more distance because that is kind of what kind of is odd about that film is it's very indie late 80s sure yeah which i love that's one of my favorite 
vibes for a movie. And I love that they use the different film stock. And David Keith or da- Keith oh, David, I forget. I mix it up, up I, too. I, get them. I, I think it's David Keith. And then I called, I think I said Brian Keith to when I was yeah. referring to uh, it to someone. I was like, you got to see this. Yeah. Two friends of mine were watching um, The Demon Seed. Oh, yeah. Same director. I've been thinking about that a lot. Mm-hmm. But do you remember the TV movie? Ver- well, you know what? Well, okay, we call it the the poor man's version of Demon Seed. <laughs> no, I don't. The, with Kay Lenz. The seeding. Oh, Kay Lenz. The seeding. I love Kay Lenz. I'm a huge Kay Lenz. <laughs> Strip like, to Kill. Listen, Strip to Kill. God, if I could ever do a film, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a good show you know that yeah. would be a good quarantine show where it's a series of solo numbers but <laughs> a, a trans serial you know we'll bring back the trans serial killer and make it hot again yeah <laughs> that'll it, never happen actually it, got, if it did happen it would happen at the cavern club maybe i do have the contact information uh, for the director and i i you know i sat with i okay listen to me uh, stretching through i sat with her i sat down the row from her when did you see the strip to kill screening at the silent movie theater no but i I went to the poison ivy screening where they unfortunately i had to leave uh because of an unfortunate uh accompaniment but that would have been the same would that have been the same series uh well i said well she did what What's it, her name's Cat Cat Shea Rubin. Cat Shea, yeah, she yeah. was an actor. She was in Psycho Three. She's oh, she the was? girl that gets killed on the toilet. Oh, wow. I haven't She's seen Psycho a, she, Three. Her yet. famous line is, uh, "Ma'am, excuse me, this is Occupado." <laughs> no, isn't Psycho Three supposed to be? Is that the one that's really good of the sequels? Um, I don't. Well, I think they're all good except four. Four is just really, really terrible because. You can't have Olivia Hussey as Norma Bates. <laughs> it doesn't matter that she looks like Anthony Perkins or yeah. and that Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas was perfect casting for Norman Bates, just like that kid in Bates Motel. Okay, which sure. The first I loved up until the last three episodes, and I thought it was a piece of shit. Vera Farmiga as Norma Bates, that blew my mind because it's hard to define Norma Bates, which would have been hard back then in the eighties because it's, you're so stuck into, into Norman's version of Norm, Norma, his yeah. mom and, and, and your his, imagination. You know, exactly. Yeah. And, and as a gay man, you know, you, you then go, or whether you're a mama's boy or you had a close relationship with your mom or whatever, you also, throw those impressions of norma bates you know like your own association yeah the meanest thing my mom ever did to me or something that embarrassed me and then you can identify with you know that voice that's always in you know the kind of psychosis that split personality that norman went through but yeah which is the great thing about movies too, because we always put our own things into them, and then we can learn stuff about exactly. ourselves from them as well. I just yeah. saw Taxi Driver again for the oh. first time in fifteen years, I think, yeah. and I was able to see it at the New Beverly. Things I took away from it, of course, were just about how you know it's the first portrait of basically what incels are now, and the alt right, mm-hmm. the work that Scorsese and De Niro did together to show toxic masculinity before that was even a term that anyone thought to put together yeah is incredible yeah and it's so scary yeah and i also i always marvel at sybil shepherd 
And it's like, because it's, you're kind of like, why is this even, and you find it's like, no, she's just an obsession of of his and she perfectly represents the, the purest sexiness, the most natural pure. I mean, and she's also, she's such a wise guy, you know, there's also, she's also, you get a sense that she likes being around guys, you know, that Mm -hmm. she's fine. She likes to be the subject of attention. Yeah. But also she could probably smoke a cigar and hang hang with the boys, you know, Sybil, because, you know, she's Southern and And she could roll with anything. uh, Yeah. 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 And her and Albert Brooks banter the whole time. And there's a kind of of funny. And it's also funny when all those scenes where he just, De Niro just keeps kind of busting in there. And when I, because I would watch it several times, and then I would start watching what Albert Brooks is doing in the background, and <clears throat> he's basically doing the same thing that De Niro's doing, mm-hmm. except they're coming from two different worlds, and of course, two totally different mind frame of mind. Yes, as as far as what they're going through. Yeah, at that moment, and then he takes her to a dirty move. Well, first they go to the diner, but then you know it's like he takes her to like a. Dirty, you know, a, a porn, really filthy movie. A Swedish, yes, yeah, it was just you know, and watching her in that, it's just you know. I also heard that was real that she had never seen a really, movie and that she was just like, I want the fuck out of here, you a- know. Apparently, she was not the favorite person on the set. Well, you know, her and Bogdanovich must have been. They were must <laughs> they have were been very a fucking carried night, away nightmare. With, they were very carried away. All with I want at the time. is if they ever cast Reese Witherspoon's mother in something, please let it be Sybil Shepherd because brilliant. I really just want you know to see them together in something because yeah. I do. I think they're, I think they're pretty much. The, yeah, I yeah. really do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go back to Nancy Kwan though. I oh actually my God, had yes. an audition with Nancy Kwan. You did? In L- yes, in LA. Wow. So um, for those not familiar, in LA, Nancy Kwan, as if we're not in LA. <laughs> I've heard of LA. Yeah. Uh, um, for those not familiar, Nancy Kwan. Right? <laughs> Nancy Kwan is the co-star of Walking the Edge and was the featured uh, performer of a Tarantino tribute one time. They did Kwan exploitation. Uh, uh, really as a series yeah i have to start going to the new beverly you do I, I really, love it. that's gonna be my new thing since i'm kind of uh post-covid i'm kind of in an independent phase i'm not mm-hmm. really hanging with any groups or friends i'm just kind really? of really yeah i'm just i don't know what's going on with me it's you're probably, a solo operator it's probably severe uh mental depression but <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm from louisiana and we don't do therapist and we don't do aa or anything like that so <laughs> i'm just gonna roll with it and see where it takes me but you talking about everything at new beverly i'm just like why don't i go to the movie and i've been craving popcorn too. and they have the best movie popcorn. i know so we should I go need to, i need to yes call me i need to get on the mailing list well listen do you want to see heat is it the theatrical or is it the, wasn't there a director's cut that had the Ashley Judd breakdown uh, scene that was supposed to be the scene that, you know, kind of got Ashley Judd attention to where she was, you know, about, she was one of those it girls right. back then, you know, I think in it's the, the theatrical 90s. cut. Um, when is it? It is Sunday the 26th, I want to say. I'm still doing my show. Oh, that's right. That. Your show, of course. Yes. I am a weirdo during um, showtime. So, yeah. you know, a mix of emotions. But um, we have but to focus on the show. At this point, it's it's all, it's very strange. 
performing post COVID. For me, it is. How is it strange as opposed to before? Well, it's it's just I just started thinking about like how not that the audience's reaction was different, but it just feels it just feels cautious. Mm. And we had gotten to a point where you know things could be dangerous again you know yes a little freewheeling yeah very freewheeling and now we have to like take a step back and because the entire audience is masked right stay masked um you know i didn't recognize two friends that were in the row in front of me because we're wearing masks and i was really in kind of inner space that night yeah i i felt very um challenged in terms of relating to others i enjoyed Uh the show of course Uh uh-huh but and I saw you afterwards, and yeah, my me- but- and that that was also I, it was nice because I hadn't seen a, most of those people yeah. since the last show, February twenty twenty, which you know I was lucky right before we shut down. I had just finished a show, so that was kind of a good thing. But I haven't done anything because you know, like like we were saying before, the online thing is just not my bag, and I'm just not interested in doing it. Right, and um. So, so yeah, and you know, normally we could cram 60 people in there and, you know, you could always say, just show up, someone's sure not to show up and you can get their ticket or yeah. we'll seat you in the aisle, right. you know, and you can cram in there. And also I feel like people were also being a little more respectful as to, oh, I'm not going to go out and get shit faced drunk. Whereas, you know, <laughs> last year there would be no question you're going to go out and get shit face drunk on a margarita yeah. at Casita del Campo and then go see a show, yeah. you know, that's only going to be an hour. So it's the perfect, like, okay, I'm leveled out. Yeah. You, you got know, some again, ramp up time. Exactly. And you can go do whatever your next thing is, whether it's home or dessert or, you know, continuing to go out for a night out on the town. Whereas now it's very much targeted going out. You have the thing you're going to go to do and there isn't much of a hey where, where do you want to go now yeah and also the uber takes 25 minutes to get to you oh, God, and it's three worst. times as expensive the worst that's why I'll, i do i will sit there and when you say uh, okay i'll see you in uh, about 30 minutes i'm going to take the bus the, the bus uh, <laughs> do you want me to send an uber <laughs> no well have i didn't you, offer that by you, the way, so. oh well i know but if you had offered i would literally have been no yeah, right. I actually started taking the bus I don't enjoy downtown. those at all. You don't like Ubers? No, because I'm a really horrible, horrible, horrible backseat driver. You know, just terrible. And I, anyone that follows Waze yeah. or Maps, you know, it can be on, but you don't have to listen to it. You know, I am forever, every Uber I have ever gotten in... I mean, I live between the two most convenient (laughs) east-west routes in all, I believe, in all of the Los Angeles metropolitan area, which is Fountain and DeLongpre, if you live in Hollywood. Yeah. And every time I have ever gotten into an Uber and we are driving east on DeLongpre, that damn ways will try and navigate up to sunset or navigate all the way down to santa monica even though the cavern club is on hyperion which is an extension of fountain the street that we are on see it just yeah it takes me to a place of instant rage but it's also a family trait because my family 
was very, you know, men down south, good old boys. If you travel them, it's always like, well, which way'd you go? It's the first question. It is the first question that a good good old, you know, Britney Spears dad, you could probably, he would be putty in your hand. Oh, Jamie, hey, go, go. What way would y'all come out here? I'll go to the five or. uh... As as, as long as you knew the uh, highways and byways. Then yeah, you were okay, right? Yeah, my dad would always ask, "Well, which way are you going to the thing?" And I've always been directionally challenged and have very, you know, serious problems me, with me maps. Too. Yeah, I had the Thomas. Remember, we had that Thomas guide. I never had first, to deal with the Thomas guide. See, I had the Thomas guide. I Let's remember. Let's explain ma- the Thomas guide for folks who don't know well, what the that Tom- is. Thomas guide was Thomas guide was the really convenient encyclopedia version of a fold out gas station roadmap. Sure. Like a roadmap, you would kill yourself if you opened it all the way up because you would have no visibility because it would take up, you know, it was like a school, like a map that should be mounted in a classroom. <laughs> right. And then the Thomas Guide, you had that like index where you would have to look up one street that you were going to find the other cross. So it'd be like, 3G, you know, it was like bingo. It was really bizarre, though. And then sometimes your destination would have been right on the edge of the page. Okay. So you would then have to find oh, the that, corresponding. And then, oh yeah. my god! And that was specific to LA, the Thomas Guide, right? Yes, the Thomas Guide was. And it's God. It's it. I mean, listen. That's why I'm a bitch in the back seat <laughs> because I know I kind of know the area now yeah. after 22 years and I always the nicest thing I can tell the Uber driver when I get in is like trust me I, and I do say I'm the best Thomas guide you will ever have <laughs> yeah and they're you know terrified of me the Gen Z's and most of the <laughs> millennials because they believe in that app Right. And listening to that app and that app is everything because they've and never done it any other they've way never done it any other way and it's so great but mamma back here <laughs> loves to give direction yeah you know? there is a certain great uh aspect to having to do things like learning the streets of los angeles lost. and getting we, lost is a good thing too well, walking you know, around which i did in the last year and a half more than i ever did before really helped me because i'm more of um landmark person i'm not a the streets thing see not me yeah some people will give you directions you know go by that it's a giant oak tree and i'm going <laughs> what the fuck an, <laughs> well for me it's an signs like the yeah. vivian westwood sign or the, oh yeah 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 you know yeah there uh, is that yeah because in la people do the thing where they go well you know fountain and crescent and i'm like uh, i just go oh yeah because it's too difficult for me to go i don't know where that is actually yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, because they're like, what's wrong with you after that? And so and they're trying to be helpful. And then I can just look it up on my GPS later. Yeah, but I, I love the Los Angeles uh, public tra- and the subways. It's actually quite substantial. Fantastic. Yeah, it's it's better or as good as the New York subway, you know, and you can get so. right downtown. Downtown is so great. From yeah. I live just below Hollywood and Highland, so and for me, I can just yeah. walk down the street to Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And there's a bus like every six minutes yeah. that goes right down to Precinct. Although I did, there was a guy that was on the bus today, and as he got off, I realized his entire ass was exposed. <laughs> so as I sat there, you know, because during COVID, I also I'm so I'm I'm another good thing about COVID is I've always been really good 
to not touch things. Yeah. And through COVID and watching people on the bus, yeah. I realized, and it's mostly old people who can't help it, but damn, y'all, stop touching I mean, people grabbing on like it's a fucking stripper pole. You know what I mean? Like literally, I am, I am literally you, the folds of the folds of my elbows that were really the only part of my body that needs a good scrub because (laughs) I, I can tell you I can grip a bus and um, I suggest that you can make your way around without using your fingers. I can do it. I can do Mm -hmm. it. You grew up in Louisiana and you were talking about how you've adapted to the isolation of COVID. Uh, I'm curious if you felt some isolation in Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, even in my own family, in a sense, I mean, we were pretty, you know, tried to be protected. But Mm -hmm. we were also kids that were really spaced out. And how many kids? Um, Four. Okay. But it would have been my sister. And then I believe two years later, my brother And then when my eldest brother was a senior in school, the middle brother was in the sixth grade and I was in the first grade. So eventually I was the only kid in the house. So sure. I, yeah, I don't. And I hung around a lot. My sister took care of me Mm -hmm. a lot. You know, um, I remember, and I think this does influence my love of women or the i don't know if you know more like the um iconography of women i guess you know that kind of goddess like i that's that permeates all my shows sure and the feminine energy oh yeah 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 um i always had a real feminine energy but i also had a really sharp tongue Uh you know so i i think now unfortunately because I look a little more gruff. My mouth and my tone has, especially in LA, not in New York. In New York, it was never an issue. You know, that's why I left New York. And I feel like that's more of where my soul belongs. Mm-hmm. But my my person belongs in LA because I'm Southern. I like warm. Yeah. I like the heat. I um, live for not wearing uh, as much as I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be responsible for gloves, scarves, because ha- that it, that just was not layers for me. are a big layers. Problem. Yeah, I look. I finally learned that I look great in layers. You know, but I really, <laughs> I just held off on layers forever. There's a great story know? I read in a Chris France interview. Uh, so the drummer for the Talking Heads, yeah. was not familiar. Mm-hmm. He was talking about going to CBGB's during a blizzard and it would be about the time that the first talking heads album had come out and he's in all the layers you know full down coat hat scarf everything he walks in and he sees david johansson in a silk suit no shirt and he goes hey yeah chris rock stars don't really dress for the weather <laughs> not even a hello that's just the what he good says thing about then is you could have gone in there made your way directly to the stage we would have climbed under the stage <laughs> taken off all of our clothes because we were never going to pay for a <laughs> coat check oh right you know we would have even left our and we also came in back then i i was always in the gym 
you know, teaching well in the new in the nineties in New York. And we would leave everything under the stage or if it was like a club night or something. You yeah. Know? So there were ways you could get away with it, but you tuck away. Yeah, your- it was a lot. It was the New York. Well, being, I guess, an artist in New York or being sure struggling or broke and not having, you know, a car service or so, you know, having to carry shit yeah. and plan for uh, my noon class, my audition at equity and right rollerblading in central park oh which reminds me of the best celebrity signing in central park rollerblading in the 90s was always james taylor oh that's we a were, great one he was always skating by himself <laughs> you know and was you know a girlfriend of mine i used to skate with a girlfriend of mine and she was like oh my god this is james taylor she was a little older than i was i she was one of my clients at crunch and uh, I just remember like kind of skating, holding back and watching her because she was a good looking, you know, blonde from Jersey. And she, you know, just chatted with James Taylor and rollerbladed next to him, like, you know, yeah. for several minutes and how, you know, super how, fun. How fascinating is the dynamic between James Taylor and Carly Simon in the last yeah. 30 years? Because Carly Simon has no problem talking about how awkward and difficult things are. You know, with him. she says that she wasn't allowed in the house at their child's wedding that was held at James <laughs> oh, Taylor's house that she God. couldn't use the bathroom inside. I see. I didn't I don't really know the drama between them. Oh, heavy and drama. I was about to say, you know, it's just that artistic isolation that and then i'm like wait you won't let her in the house to take a piss that's what's like that's insane. well and she says that uh he basically likes to have absolutely no communication with her and that drives her nuts and when they broke up she then dated russ kunkel who was his drummer so she'd be showing up backstage dating russ the dynamic the tension and must he probably have been just ignore her as if if she wasn't even there there must but have, you know yeah. skate you know rollerblading takes away all was the, a very yeah. well it was a very solid it's a very solid you know i was you know i i never thought i liked sports or athletics yeah. and i realized i just don't like team sports you know uh, again this is back to the army of one you know uh, it, uh, it is so yeah. there is something about that like you know rollerblading when that was a i mean because that was a huge craze like the set you know because i was a kid when the roller skating craze happened in the 70s sure so for me to be you know a young adult and you know and back in new york you know people be like i saw you skating down third avenue with your shirt off and some really tiny shorts and i was like yeah yeah amazing so a lot of freedom was associated with it was wonderful and also um here you can't do that because people would just mow you down in new york there was never a question it's like that cab's not going to run over you it will challenge you it will come close but trust me no one's gonna get it and it was fine you know yeah it it was super fun it was great and i want to get more into new york but i want to find out a little bit more about louisiana Uh, louisiana yeah yeah and growing up yeah solitude uh, yeah solitude but also uh like me i didn't have any inclination towards sports but i think that maybe there's some aspects of working out that i would like I i think i'm going to go join a gym soon because it's just one of those things especially being so sedentary uh, this last year and a half it really is the best thing you anyone can ever do seriously yeah. it's just movement yeah you know, which is weird about that performance this weekend that you saw because i'm just getting back 
into like full on movement. Yeah. And now I'm also watching video of the show. And, you know, if I'm being honest, no, I don't like a lot of what I see. Mm-hmm. And from the first night to the second night, oh, things things that I was wearing were removed and other <laughs> things that were and again it's all for the better creation of the story mm-hmm. it's also my own vanity and everything because I also want the audience to always I always see um Connie as like a an ab fab or, or if you're more like a cartoon character but speaking of ab fab yeah there was something about that Patsy would never change her hairstyle. Right. That they always looked like they do. Like drag queens today, I mean, it's more like a project runway, like it's creating incredible looks. Mm -hmm. I like to call most of them Thanksgiving Day parade floats. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's usually something big and it's padded and it's, and it's art and it's beautiful. Yeah. It's not my bag. Sure. At all. Yeah. I want to be as raw and wet and, you know, Iggy Pop and Margaret, you know, Chris, David Johansson, no shirt and a silk suit. You know what I mean? I want that as much, but I also want it to look a certain way to where it's charming. It's when I say it, I mean she, Connie, of course. <laughs> sure. but, but the character, yeah, the doll, and that if you that will. that whole presentation to to touch in a certain way. And sometimes, you know, things are wrong, and materials and fabrics are wrong, and comedies. You know what I mean? There's just I've learned that, you know, because it was only in the last ten years of. Connie's been around since college, you mm-hmm. know, as just a thought or a voice, a pageant character, Southern, Southern guys in Louisiana would always imitate, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I, I love a local, a local corn fed, you know, pageant. I just sure. think it's hilarious, you yeah. know? Um, so yeah. So, so it was always a character, uh, in your mind, but it sort of presented parties or was it a voice that you did for folks? Um, it was me and it was the first, um, Gay guys that I, well, I went to a Southern Baptist college in Louisiana and uh, it was more when, cause there was a local gay bar. So then, you know, as you would kind of venture off campus, start to discover who you are, la la la. And you start to meet gay guys that, or friends that you, that don't go to school with you. Right. You know, you think about that, like when we grow up, my, I had my friends that went to school with me Mm -hmm. and then some of those same friends went to my church, but my church also had different friends of mine that went to another school, the integrated school. I went to the, you know, I went to what people now like to call a racist academy because it is one of these small private I don't, again, I don't understand what the wording would be when they would set up the, you know, school district. Sure. What makes you a private or a Christian? You know, I don't, I don't what, get how do you right. keep black people if a black person wants to go to your school, you know? Yeah. But whatever, it was obviously, you know, set up at, or in the designed late six, for designed to, to, for, Segregation to yeah. continue segregation down south under different branding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, With the branding that um, that rep. If you don't know who she is, oh, she's something else. It's um, 
I guess she's a congresswoman or a representative from Mississippi's Cindy Hyde White, but she <laughs> was one caught, I don't know, on mic or just saying stuff like, oh, we need to bring back lynchings. I could go for oh a public lynch. No, in the town square, you know, and she, what? and then, and then I was watching MSNBC or something. So then, you know, they're going to paint the picture a certain way as any news show will. And it's like, well, she was head cheerleader at one of those racist academies. And I'm thinking, oh my God, that's, and she's probably my age. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, wow. It's amazing what can come out of a racist academy. <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes you get Connie and sometimes you can get Representative Cindy Hyde White. I guess it does um, speak to the person like the you know the uh the integrity of the person themselves well, because if you she stay she, down there too if you stay well, in that weird and if you have bubble. no intellectual curiosity or anything exactly. that pushes you yeah in, into looking for something well else. that's why it's so easy to be brainwashed you know yeah. politically because because you're also dealing with people that grew up going to church you yeah. know and before there were so many distractions you know church was something that okay yeah people want to go because they believe in a god or whatever it's also it's a social network that's all it's facebook about. before facebook right. it's just again we all want to believe alike and we all go to those nine to five jo- you know what again it's it's how the country has always organized itself and defines itself as well as as far as rural and small town communities i mean my town at its the town now oh my god it's 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 i mean it's it's a shell of what it used to be Mm -hmm. in 1980 it was at its highest um population and i believe it was like 11,000 wow. maybe 11,000 now 6,000 <laughs> and it looked like the ta- it was like a it was like a smaller version of the town from steel magnolias mm-hmm. uh Natchitoches, louisiana yeah. which i would say if you do louisiana i love i'll always love my state i love louisiana uh new orleans is is one of the most beautiful premier cities in america but Natchitoches is beautiful uh-huh. on a level of small townness and quaintness and just beautiful i mean that that's why i can always watch that movie even though people the gays you know they like the play and you know the movies i love the movie because i was in college down there when it was filmed there so and i knew i knew that area really well and it's so cinematic i don't know why well blah blah the whole state's great for filming that's bobby jendal they they really i i hope they didn't fuck it all up but yeah i think a lot of production left or something but I can't remember what we were talking about. That's okay. Uh, we're... Christian school. Uh, the Connie and the the friends that I met at the gay bar that, yeah. w- that were suddenly say, outside of any of these yeah, other. Yeah, and they were maybe a couple of years older. So they had already graduated from college and they had accepted, like, a friend of mine worked at the local newspaper and, you know, stuff like that. And we were always, we would just meet different people, put on characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, Connie more started out. Uh, we would just do this pageant introduction, which I actually put in the show, but I switched it up a little bit. But it used to be, hi, I'm Connie Slocum, and I love children. I love all kinds of children. I love black children. I love white children. I love brown children. I love yellow ch- you know, children. That's why in the fall, I played a major in fashion. And it was just, it wasn't even writing. Yeah. It, you know, it was just, I love world peace. <laughs> 
and then uh, majoring in something that has nothing to do with world peace. And then we would change up the last line. I'm going to the school of atomic hair design, you know, and we would just kid ourselves. And then years later or 10 years later, or no, not 10 years later, but yeah, almost 10 years later. Oh God. I was in New York and I had seen this comedy group called the Nellie Olsons. They were a gay sketch comedy group and I'd seen them at the, like the Charles Ludlam theater and they were doing John takeoffs on John Waters movies. And there was this guy that was doing a pageant character. Every representation was there and I'm watching them all kind of vibe on this absurd comedy Mm -hmm. absurd but everything i related to and that's kind of i had never seen gay comedy before and then i guess a couple months later i was reading uh backstage Mm -hmm. uh newspaper looking for auditions and the nelly olsons were looking for females and i thought and there was an address and i thought oh that that was that great show i saw yeah let me let me just send on my headshot and if they're ever looking for guys you know so apparently i found out six months after that when i actually they were looking for a guy that they had held onto my headshot and they said when we were looking for women only two guys submitted you and then this one guy who drew like hair yeah like curly hair and we thought he was an idiot because he drew hair on his headshot so we thought we would bring you in and john epperson who's lip Sinka, oh the yeah, famous yeah. Drag queen uh was directing this show and the show was speaking of tarantino was going to be called pulp nelly okay uh so um already i was like oh this sounds fun and then they were like do you have any characters and i had never thought of writing a character or i had never written anything i used to write songs when you know because i was more into blondie and sure david bowie you know and rock music and you know, stuff like that. <laughs> then I just thought, oh, I have this character, Connie. Um, and I started doing the, I love children. I love, yeah. but because the Nellies, even though uh, the girl that was in the group, uh, Nora Burns, she was like Columbia, you know, they were, the two writers were both Ivy Lee. Oh, the I other see. guy okay. graduated top of his class, Yale drama department. So, but they were also lowbrow humor stuff that we can't very politically it was back in the 90s it was called politically incorrect (laughs) and we really did things that we're only just now realizing that are some are blatantly racist Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like we did this god it's just it's so ridiculous again i even back then i don't know i don't know what we were thinking but i will get with nor and we'll just look at each other and go i can't believe we did that it's like we're idiots and we did a sketch about asian drivers and you know um and and just about mowing people down but of course because it was so well written there were parts of it that were just so funny but Every time we got on stage to do it, the audience was not buying it at all, Mm -hmm. which then would – because Nora and I were having to play the two (laughs) white cops, you know, like the two German blue-eyed cops, you know, Uh even though I'm not German. I don't know what I am, probably more Irish, but (laughs) Nora is full-on German. But we were having to deliver all of this exposition and just were dying, and we would end up 
giggling and just because we were you know we finally were like we can't do this anymore <laughs> it's, it's just like the yeah. audience is not into it yeah. the audience will always tell you mm-hmm. if you're doing something right or if you're doing something wrong at least a new york audience would <laughs> and you know that was also what was great um about starting something like a raw comedy group and and really put you know i miss those times i you know there's an intimacy between, you know, I hate to use the word edgy because it was, we used it so much back then, but we really made fun of everything, whether it was AIDS or, and we, and we wouldn't, or I don't want to just say AIDS, um, um, but you disabled people, pr- subjects, pr- porno stars, Congress, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everything. There was nothing off limits. And doing that on a regular basis, it just, it, it creates a strong performer. Sure. And someone that can really roll with the live audience that for me, again, they wrote, I was privileged into this day, have never felt more privileged than when they were writing comedy for me to do because they, um, you know, the regular audition circuit for young openly gay actors was a shit show. Now, you know, what we, era exactly again was um, that? Well, this is 90s, but it was before LA. I'm kind of projecting ahead, sure. you know, of when I came out to LA because the sketch comedy group actually got a lot of attention. And when we, they also played LA. So when I joined that comedy group, they actually, oh, by the way, they loved Connie so much, I got in the group. And, you know, we still kind of work together and we're family. Yeah. And the three of us uh, still have our clued into the same we think the same things are funny mm-hmm. we think other things are not funny yeah and those are very know, special people too yeah they yeah, really really a are of humor and uh. I, yeah i've never i've never <laughs> found that really in la uh-huh. not like that yeah you know la is different it's la is just i'm finding that it's just more competitive mm-hmm. even amongst your closest friends you find like even if like you might be a drag queen and they might be uh, a DJ or a Shakespearean, it doesn't matter. Somehow you're all in competition. And I'm, you know, New York isn't like that, you know? Okay. But the weird thing is, is that there's more, there there are many more places to play and do things in LA than there are in New York. New York, you really, there's nowhere like the Cavern Club. In right. New York, nowhere. Yeah, there used to you be a lot of those places, right? I know, they but. were everywhere and they're gone. And we've lost a lot of our gay bars and performance spaces in LA too, but it's still, there's no comparison. Right. You know, but I also find, again, getting back to the loner thing. Yeah. I forever, when I came out, was trying to find other people to play with or to find, and a lot of things. Number one, I I found that I couldn't get into any other groups or find another tribe Mm -hmm. like the Nellie Olson. Sure. Because the girl stayed in New York Mm -hmm. and the other guy, he always had a regular nine to five job and he just, I just wanted to perform more than he did. Sure. So at some point I had to figure out, okay, okay, and the audition thing, I never, I maybe had, I maybe had as many auditions in a year as the, literally the average actor, the average, not even working that much actor would have in a week or a month. 
Yeah. I was just lucky that when someone would call me in, it would be like a good casting director who did really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And it would be so specific. It would be just come in and do this and it's yours. And I would come in and do that. And it was mine. Right. You know, and that was awesome. You know, but for the most part, that is a one liner here and there is the most unfulfilling. And then the, there's that whole thing with the gay man thing and that audition circuit and you know, if you're openly gay, you're not ever going to be considered really back then you weren't yeah. ever going to be considered for anything other than a gay part. And now that I'm so into doing the drag thing, or at least doing my own stories as a quote unquote drag character, which mm -hmm. I don't know if it's really drag. I, yeah. It's drag in the sense that it's a wig and it's makeup and it's you're, you're in drag right now. I'm, I'm in drag. Yeah, this is my drag, right. whatever. Right. It's how we choose to present ourselves yeah. is our drag. Um, denim is drag. You know, that's a hot look. It's drag. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, back then, it there there was that thing of again, it, even if it's like school of trying to present in a way that you want to please the casting director, mm -hmm. and you want them to you you know, casting directors want you to do good. Yeah. You know. And auditions just aren't fun. They're not. They're not. What are and, they usually like? Well, I found that if it was a drag, okay, so, okay, like people would see the Nellie Olsons and we would do drag, but there was never time because it would be like 26 sketches in 70 minutes. Mm -hmm. There was never time to do makeup. It would be, you have a Farrah Fawcett wig and some high heels on, yeah. you're in you're a woman. Yeah. And that's the fun about, whether it's kids in the hall or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's more that's suggestion. That's the fun about, con yeah, because yeah. it's like, you know, it's just, it does, it's, yeah. Like you're on, in on this with us, right, everyone? Ex okay. Exactly, yeah. exactly. They're all, all in on it. And it's, and even with, with Connie, like I did some shows with Mario Diaz as my lover and some people come in there like, hey, What's Juice going to do when he finds out Connie has a dick on the honeymoon night? <laughs> Just thinking, well, is that what you thought all that was? It's like, that's not any, that is not, I'm not even thinking about genitalia, yeah. even though genitalia is a part of my comedy. Yeah. And it has been since the Nellie Olsons because, and it's also was the one thing that I think kept anything really hot happening because we had interviews at every network mm -hmm. but anytime they would send a suit to the show we would because we would do things that every straight or gay kid does who has a penis every guy tucks his penis between his legs at one time or another or multiple times <laughs> you know even those i love those pictures when they caught brad pitt and gwyneth paltrow sunbathing uh -huh. and brad pitt was running around by the pool with his dick tucked between his <laughs> legs doing a mangina it yeah. was the and it just made me i said okay that is someone i can get behind yeah he is so fun and yeah. cute and cool and he seems like he has a great sense of you and he you know he looked fucking awesome naked sure. also but a lot of people can't and that was like one of the funniest sketches we ever, we were playing recorders. Uh -huh. We looked like, I always looked at it. Remember the love is that branding love is, and it was the two little nude caricatures with no genitalia, little titties, but it was a late sixties, seventies free love thing. To me, that's what it was. We were playing like Topanga Canyon post LSD, uh, mamas and the papas, 
burnouts who we said went on a trip and have been Tub Tim and Brendel were their names have been roaming the the forests of Laurel Canyon yeah. since those days and we have no clothes and we mused on we played the theme from Taxi on the <laughs> recorder and mused about Mary Lou Henner's pubic hair and about how one would line the nest of his bird you know a bird with Mary Lou yeah. and it was absurd but for some reason they're just seeing they're Harry bushes you know and it would literally be like okay it was fine once it got to the guys tucking their dicks between their legs i'd had enough they couldn't get past and they that couldn't get past and, it but yeah. yet you know if michael richards did that it would be hilarious and there were other straight comedians who were doing all that there was one dude that used to like would shove a fire uh roman candle up his butt and would you know what i mean but because he was straight yeah that was just guys being guys doing stupid right frat stuff yeah it just for and i also totally think that me and the guy we were also gym rats mm -hmm. so we also had really nice body and i also think that also that kind of erotic you know what i mean that yeah kind because of, there's a difference between will ferrell being naked exactly, in that movie i and, can't remember old school because yeah. you know he's like out of shape and it's like oh yeah. how funny exactly yeah or but, like when chris uh farley would do yes the chippendales Chip with patrick swayze it's that same thing it's like ah, yeah. uh, but again that also again ties into my connie and the fact that you know i'm playing someone who we don't really know her age but now the body because i'm thicker and and fatter or, or you know whatever bodies are funny and naked bodies are funny and you know guys and leotards but like i say you know the whole genitalia that that thing yeah i think genitalia is really funny and yeah looking at some of the shit pictures from this past weekend and like that gold leotard i'm sitting there looking at all because now normally i used to not wear pantyhose uh -huh. you know but i'm finding that costume changes go a lot quicker if you have <laughs> nylon to yeah. pull things over your sure. body yeah but it's funny looking at how i'm representing now post covid you mm -hmm. know 15 pounds up you know and i'm still going yeah i still got that lady shape you know i've, I've got hips that the girls have to cut foam out of and literally glue to their sides some yeah. of these little skinny legged guys <laughs> and you know i'm just this kind of you know you know hairy dude but yet i can put on a lady's french cut leotard mm -hmm. and look pretty damn i can still look pretty fetching in it yeah you know? so so yeah there's so any like the hollywood you know the audition circuit anytime there would be a drag part like you know they would find out that you do drag because back then there would only be certain actors you know i think that agencies would go ah oh, it's a drag role because we would all see this we would all be at the same auditions you know sure. it would be like willem you know willem yeah. from stars Born yeah, yeah. And drag race willem um what willem would always get the part normally because willem is a pretty enough boy to where he's a really beautiful girl and also for film it's not rupaul's drag race back then they wanted you to, it was always this seeking uh men to play drag queens must and then this will be in all caps must be able to play a woman convincingly 
<laughs> it would also be, it would, and if it was a gay role, mm-hmm. if, please be effeminate, flamboyant. I'll never forget this. The biggest audition I ever had was for Frasier, and I loved that show. Yeah. It was one of the best written shows. It was funny, and that ensemble was amazing. Amazing, yeah. And it was for a character. It was, it was one of those characters. Again, there weren't a lot of characters that when I would get an audition, I would even go, okay, eat. Okay, I'm also one of those people that'd be like, I ain't going to get, you know what I mean? I would kind of, and people would be like, you have got to have some confidence, but I was also an actor who didn't study. So I've learned that I'm really not an actor, even though I can act. (laughs) I'm a performer. Mm -hmm. That's what I do because, you know, with Connie and discovering drag the last 10 years, as we finally, as I wrap up all these tangents from well, that's the show. Racist Academy yeah. in Louisiana, <laughs> you know, all the way through college and yeah. meeting other gay men and and being comfortable in your sissiness yeah, to sure. act like girls or a pageant girl and, yeah. and parade around and do and then go to New York and do that with a comedy group and, and be then celebrated. Be cel- celebrated by a New York audience. Get the fuck out of here. You know, I always even today. I don't get to perform. Well, I I perform. Yes, I. What am I talking about, John? Well, it's um, hard. It's hard to even define those things now, though, because you think now I, and then you factor in the last year and a half, and that scrambles any I, it uh, yes. math that we have. You know, there was before the RuPaul Drag Race thing. I was performing. You know, I had kind of garnered some attention just creating cool drag shows, and I had done a couple of things. But it's just so hard to get an audience. You know in there you know to and, and when you're doing something very specific and unique that's also very difficult that you still can't back then that you especially. still can't explain what it well that's, that's the, thing, the you, other you, thing you, you, you have to have the people come and experience it mm-hmm. you describe it and they can't imagine it sometimes you think they can and that's and if a problem you see it too. online and again that's why i don't do online because when people see it online it's not the same experience at all. It's like sketch comedy, live comedy. Yeah. It's not the same. Well, I was looking at your Grace Jones book. Yeah. Seeing Grace Jones on YouTube is awesome, but being at the Hollywood Bowl when she <laughs> is on her fucking game, yeah. Yeah. that is an experience, you know, like no other. I got to see your uh, front row at Roseland. When, right before they closed. How funny. We ended up there because we were having a cigarette before the show. The line was wrapped around the block and someone comes up and goes, oh, are you VIP ticket holders? And we just went, yep. Oh, I love it. And they it. go, oh, you can go in now. Oh, Raced fantastic. right to the front barrier and was right up against the stage. It was incredible. I was never a big Susie Sue fan. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, liked her, but not, her working not out, like out of her, <laughs> not like her fans. Yeah. Or, oh, her as, fans are very, very, very They're dedicated. very loyal. As I, call, I love to call them the legions of doom. <laughs> but I, the only, my friend who I used to go see every, all Radiohead garbage, everything with in the 90s in New York, he was a big fan. And he's like, of course, when they find out like that you don't even have a Susie Sue, right? I had Peep Show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I love. But they're like, come see Susie with me. And I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. I saw her at Roseland. That was, um, and I had never, again, just like her, wove a spell over the audience. Yeah. I don't, she might not have sang one note in key. <laughs> But, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Yeah. And normally I am such, 
a weirdo about that. You know, there's some singers that I'm listening to them and my asshole just starts to tense up. You know, sure. I love Belinda Carlisle, but sometimes when Belinda starts, I'm just like, oh my God, is she going to hit them? You know what I mean? And she yeah, does, yeah. you know, I live to watch her Instagram. Not hit them. Oh, oh, okay. No, I live to watch her Instagram. Um, well, travels with Mrs. Travels with Mrs. Mason, Mason, which right. I love. But honey, she'll put on a little karaoke instrumental when the world's <laughs> alive. Start singing. I just and I'm just going. Oh my God, she's singing right there. I can see all her teeth inside yeah. her, you know, <laughs> yeah. her mouth. I'm like, it's wonderful to be able to. I love you know Michelle Pfeiffer's Instagram. Oh, obsessed. it's fantastic. Yeah. She's just talking about layering yeah. of scents. I, and I don't even give a shit about scents. I hate body. You know, I don't like that stuff at all. But she's but so I'm into so, it. And that's she's the thing so that's, into it. Yeah. And then I start thinking about vanilla tobacco. Ooh, that just, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. I could listen to it all day, Michelle. Continue. I'm a lifelong Blondie supporter and blonde, huge yeah. Blondie fan. When was the first time you saw them? Um. Actually, really lucky being a kid from Louisiana and lucky in the sense that I saw the first show of the 1982 Hunter Tour wow. at LSU in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And what was great about it is <clears throat> I was a mall rat, you know, in the 80s. And my favorite thing was going to Walden Books in the mall before I would go see whatever matinee I yeah. would go see. Um, and I would pour through the Scavula women, the Maple, all the Maplethorpe books. As a child, Helter Skelter, that started my whole fascination with tragic blondes. Oh, yeah. Because I couldn't, as a kid, wrap my mind around. And then I saw, I was too young, but I saw, because I think my mom was watching the TV miniseries of Helter Skelter oh, about Steve that. Rails back as Manson. yes, and he was he was. I mean, I can't. L I only see Charles Manson. I poor Steve Rails back. <laughs> I think that did it's really do him damage, it ruined his right? career, yeah. and, and for it's really unfortunate because I have several films with him, and it's just like, sorry, dude, you're a fucking <laughs> creep, and I don't want to be anywhere near you, dude. Yeah, he was too you know, good. He was so good, and he terrified me and that show terrified me and every, ever since i saw it i i would go to that book and i would force myself to just look at those pictures and it was weird because they were the crime scene photos but of course they're not going to show the bodies but the bodies were whited out which right. made it even it made it like this specter of death yeah and you could kind of see the carnage around like the flag you know and the noose over the and it was just i mean you know, stuff on the walls God, and you know I'm, I'm glad like as a gay kid growing up that i always had that presence of mind that there are really fucked up people in the world and they don't know why they don't know why yeah they, they're just easily brainwashed you know depending on that they didn't get enough attention from men like you know he kept talking about the one girl that was just uh you know an ugly just an ugly old bit you know bit, or how they would refer to her and it's like yeah when you beat someone and tell them they're ugly and you're not worth shit but i'll fuck you you know what i mean you're yeah. gonna get some loyalty yeah so it doesn't take a lot you know yeah a good screw and you you know one well, kind uh, of operator that manson was with he that was. he could get into their heads yeah and really and 
yeah. warp them. And yeah. not just women, you know. No, there no, was that absolutely. Dude, Tex, Tex Watson, who was like a, you know, that would have been like someone that I would have gone to high school with that would, he was like a star Texas athlete. Like mm-hmm. my brother was a big time athlete, you know, football star in high school. And you're, you know, you just, again, you, you don't know who could be swayed, you know? Well, yeah. It's um, also good to know too, that there are bad people out there. Exactly. And then luckily, you know, in our generation, Brian De Palma and, you know, all the good slasher movies. So then there's that whole identification and then you, that becomes, you know, I, what I learned about all being, being too, um, I don't know the right word. I'm going to say old minded to get too wrapped up, even though I, I will be wrapped up in all the gender uh, you know, the all gender uh, definitions mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. which, you know, it, it is, it's not, it's not confusing to me. You know, I, um I love explaining it to like my brother's wife who's in Houston, who does not get it at, you know, when yeah. it's the most genuine confusion of, sure. I thought that just meant you were gay. I don't under, you know, and I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. Gender identity has nothing to do with gay, really. It's just about how someone identifies. And then I kept not understanding the gender nonconformist. But then I feel like I am starting to understand it as I start, again, COVID. I started going through all of my life, organizing diaries and things. And I found that one of my, quote unquote, not to use a politically or to use a politically incorrect term, one of my my early, my college fag hag who was the first girl i ever met that she liked gay guys she wanted to go to the gay bars and yes yeah, she wanted a guy and you were never going to get one cuz you're only hanging around gay guys girl <laughs> but you know she had written me she would always write me letters and stuff and i found that even though i didn't keep a diary mm-hmm. i did keep enough of things that people had sent me yeah and some of her her letters of, and and it takes me back because they're hilarious because she is clamoring for my attention and I can tell that it's just like I want to be with God you know what I mean but it's yeah. just an interesting thing how well a, a, we a dynamic too when also people didn't know about stuff like that mm-hmm. then and then when you look back and you see oh that was presenting there as that and maybe yeah. she might have felt more like this than she realized yeah which is one of the wonderful things now about the definitions being so yeah i guess specific and robust and being presented everywhere well i realized that when i watch a film i have never except i did come up with one really good example and i'll come up with more but the only male character i can ever remember identifying in any movie would be uh, Jeffrey Beaumont in Blue Velvet mm. because I'm a loner and I'm inquisitive and I actually do want to know who lives in the creepy build. You know what I mean? Like you look at some of these old Hollywood creepy build and you're like, who lives in there? Yeah. And if one was a nightclub, you know what I mean? Like that whole David Lynch Blue Velvet. But any other movie, I'm I'm identifying with the women, especially like I say, Poseidon Adventure really defined that i just think that those are four of just 
the most wonderful female characters. I have to have, you know, I've never seen Poseidon Adventure. Oh, no, really? I meant to. I was going to go to the double feature at New Beverly when they showed that and beyond. Nothing is more fun than New Year's Eve, because I have done the Poseidon Adventure double feature. Yeah. Because Beyond the Poseidon Adventure is a piece of shit. (laughs) I mean... The set design in the original is so good. And then literally, you think you're on the love boat upside down. And it's supposed to be literally hours after oh, yeah. because it's the okay. same ship. It's a great, it's a good story. It's pirates, basically uh-huh. rich pirates that come to get plutonium as Kojak, oh, okay. as Telly Savala says, <laughs> we're here for plutonium. <laughs> Poor Michael Caines. It is the worst performance you will ever see from Sally Field. Really? Oh boy, oh boy. And this is, you know, the same year she won an Oscar for Norma Ray. Right. And you're going, you are a goddess as Norma Ray. You know, she's sweating her ass off in both movies and both <laughs> but you ju- you oh it's and and I think they're really trying to get her to look 1972 it's 1979 when they're filming oh, sure. the sequel yeah. oh and my favorite is when uh Suzanne as t- as, t- as Telly Savalas keeps calling Veronica Hamill she plays Suzanne and uh that's great writing also when they say the other uh, character's name every sentence you know you know well look for Suzanne uh because she is in on this kind of i don't know i don't know this hijacking apparently they were going to hijack in the sequel they were going to hijack the poseidon and for the plutonium okay the tidal wave did the job for them you know and has rendered it (laughs) you know derelict or you know a sinking vessel you were graveyard yeah and uh so they do find suzanne played by veronica hamill who is stunning Mm -hmm. but she is in a it's like a one show it's like a debbie harry 1978 you know you know party dress yeah and it's not 72 and then he mentions that it's uh givenchy you know and so because she has to rip it to jump across and it's just it's ludicrous but the original movie i always say it's like i even started realizing i was like you don't no one would ever need to read the bible you just watch the Poseidon Adventure because <laughs> it Gene Hackman plays a preacher, but he's he's this he's this new preacher. He's like in you know, the whole. I used to think the whole first part of the movie was so boring as a kid. Mm-hmm. I only focused on the women, yeah, you know. But as I've watched it time and time again, and as I get older, and you know, go now, pay attention to the things that you never paid attention. That's what I also love about. You know, discovering like I discovered Roxy Music in college. Yeah. So I got to go and re and it's timeless. You know what I mean? And it's fun to not like something when it comes out and everyone's going, Isn't it the greatest? I get (laughs) don't tell no, I don't want to agree with you. I want to make up my own determination alone. If uh, if I'm told too many times about oh, you have to see this, I am immediately disinclined. You should see me at Disneyland with people that love Disney. It's just like, talk about the (laughs) most hellish place on earth. (laughs) Really? Uh, And Star sci-fi, I can't deal, I can only deal with sci-fi like, I can deal with futuristic, like Blade Runner. Okay, sure. You know, or Fifth Element. Saturn 3? 
Oh, I love. I mean, it's a piece of shit, but come on. If Farrah's in it, yeah. And then, so for of course, those who don't know, Saturn naked, Three, if you naked. can get a chance to see it, it might be on Prime still. Uh, mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel's voice is dubbed That's by an right. English guy, and it's the only so bizarre. It's so weird, and it's only and Kirk, him and Kirk Douglas. And Kirk Douglas like na- naked, and it's like, dude, you are next to the, you know, forever the to me the forever most gorgeous woman ever, Farrah Fawcett. And it's yeah. just like. It doesn't matter that you're both tan, you know, it's just like, right. you look like her dad, dude. And she was already <laughs> long in the tooth, sure. you know, by that time. And um, there was a lot of like nightmares on the set of that as well. Oh, I can. And Stan, the fact that it was Stanley Don. Who wasn't like, the original director. Who was I can't remember, original? but the guy who wrote it was supposed to direct it. Okay. And apparently Kirk Douglas. Uh, of course, he was insisted. like fighting that him. That old men's and, club, the old boys club. And he was really like a nightmare, I guess, yeah, on the set. I'm sure. Well, and he's really, he was really playing up that, like Heston, you know, which, but when I go back and look at like, you know, I just, I hate him, my God, you know, because of, you know, just his politics and that. And of course I cut, (laughs) I will always cut Clint Eastwood all the slack because (laughs) I just, again, he's like the Poseidon Adventure I grew up on Dirty Harry. Well, he made great movies. His and look, I'm when sorry, he did that movies... stupid speech at that fucking convention, I was so disappointed because yeah. maybe he's, he's a Republican. Not, he's but... not real. I always will just say he's not really though. I mean, yeah. he is, but he's he's it's he's not a loony tune. You know what I mean? He'll go along with it because that's his audience, and he wants to continue to make money but when you look at a movie like gran torino it's i love this my favorite movie of the year yeah it's it's a film about how terrible it is to be biased and and all of that and although there was people in the audience when i saw it who were like the dummies who were thinking that he was a good guy and that's that interesting thing about depicting bad characters or uh you know sinister persons which i think these days sometimes people get confused uh if say there's violence against women in a film depiction is not endorsement Yes. You're usually saying something about it. Well, it like goes all, always back to that basic instinct thing, right. you know, when they were flipped out about, you know, and again, we get it. Like, I just made a joke about, let's bring back the, the trans serial killer. Like, let's do strip to kill on stage. And there's another example. But I'm going, yes, but <laughs> there aren't any redeeming characters in any Paul Ver, I'm sorry, any Joe, that Joe Esterhouse script. Oh, I'm yeah. Like, there is none of those characters are, re- re- even the Gene Triplehorn you find out, it's like none of them are redeeming. They're all awful, awful characters. But, you which know, is, which I, I love in a movie. Oh, are you kidding? I worked at Blockbuster Video, <laughs> and before it came out, we were running the trailer, but it wasn't, it wasn't the, the theatrical trailer, it was an in store trailer. And I will get chills thinking yeah. about it because it was just the Latour song from the club sequence. Oh, wow. Okay. Let that blue song. Yeah. And it went on forever. <laughs> and you basic, I would just be sitting there at the register and every time the Basic Instinct trailer would come on, we would all stop and share, you know, Sharon Stone had been around forever, but it was like, oh no. Oh, she's fine. She's finally got it. Yeah. This is the one. And she is going to ice queen the shit out of this 
what is it? Is this Hitchcockian, mm-hmm. you know, sex mist, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, the lesbian. suspense of leading up to the release of that, too. It was crazy, but the way they edited it with the music is, is it <laughs> literally <laughs> rushing over here thinking of the memory. I saw the trailer for Looking for Mr. Goodbar, which is, uh, I just saw that movie is the, the first trailer, time. Is the trailer the opening last... credits, though? Because the opening credits are fantastic they are and it's so wild that they show you all this like all these scenes from that you're going to see in the opening credits the only trouble is i don't know who dubbed in the boss gags low down it's like sped up oh unbelievably it's well you know i love oh talk about a dream guy like Brian Ferry, <laughs> Boss Boss Gags. Gags. Oh, yeah. Prob- yeah, I think I yeah. have a penchant for guys in suits. There's a certain, know, like, a rock loose, star in a suit. Uh, yeah, suaveness. And he's kind of, yeah, and he's kind of a cat. He's a real cat. Like, yeah. He's a sleazy Yeah. Well, and also all the lyrics uh, on a song like JoJo and um, the song Hollywood Alone. See, I need to get, I need to get, I need to get back into him and, and revisit. I think I'd, pr- later, me now would probably be really into Boss Gags. I think so. Yeah. Especially down to then left the follow-up album to silk degrees uh-huh. is great it's so cokey and crazy <laughs> you know it's 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 wild i'm trying yeah. to remember the name of the song i can't at the moment but uh we'll listen to it after what i what's missing in pop music now that brian ferry had and david bowie had and then later on i loved in massive attack was a cinematic sound yeah to where like boz skaggs it's like i feel like i'm in a movie here and right he's the, again like i say i identify c- cinematically with women yeah you know so you know he's you know if brian ferry is singing to me i'm his number one girl yeah and that's just uh, yeah i well there's a whole there's an element of character there's an <laughs> element of drama mm-hmm. there's also an element of not singing uh personal revelation even though there is personal revelation in the brian ferry stuff Mm -hmm. but it's cloaked in well that's also why i love and why i think debbie harry is a really underrated lyricist because she does not write lyrics like most women there's no confessional there's rarely and when she does confess like if you and again you never know with her because she might be confessing someone else's thoughts that are just similar but like a song like um end of the run yeah deaf dumb and blonde Mm -hmm. that that to me is such a legendary song because you really do feel like she's talking about her career with Blondie and this and this the fact that it was a Mike Chapman, which God, I just I would give anything if Mike Chapman would just produce one more Blondie record. And it should be now. It should it should be the new record. I, I'm not really crazy about this guy they work with now because I don't like when they put effects on her voice. Oh, okay. Like yeah. modern effects. Yeah. Like Chapman knew how to record her voice so perfectly there's something about the fusion of uh, well, his... and he would make you know back then they can't just double you have to sing the melody line all over again in one <laughs> take and exactly and deb that's not you know debbie's not like a technical as she would always say she's not a technical singer so some people are really great at doing that and they like doing that i don't really think she likes it so you know, but I think he was such a slave driver that they did it and it was going to be a nightmare and they were going to fight, but <laughs> you would do it. And that's why 
Heart of Glass and all those songs sound like they do. Yeah. You know, uh, and if you listen to her isolated vocals, they're, oh my God, they're amazing because she's not a singer singer. You know, she's not Whitney Houston. So you're not going to get that performance out of a Debbie Harry. You know, you're going to get Debbie. And yeah, that's you, one. And that's what you want. That's, that's, yeah. It's like Brian want. Ferry, who I think is to me one of the greatest singers of all time. Yeah. Yes. But and yet, even, yeah. And even to wrap it around to myself and my own performance, Mr. Dan, something that he said to me this week that it made me laugh. And it also made me kind of not be too hard on myself to, to, cause I felt like I came back at a much slower pace, okay. which I think we all are coming back yes, we are. at a slower pace. We also forget that everyone is, and yes. we think that it's just yes. us. And yeah, so maybe that is, but I am at a slower pace, and it's probably going to be, you know, but I'm always into that journey, but, you know, like I said, I said, hey, don't be alarmed. I had to remove two outfits because someone, you know, several people sent me photographs, and Obviously, they were trying to tell me something because I'm now changing two looks in the show, um, and I don't remember my 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 point. Oh no, of, that's okay because we're going to end up of, on something else, which is the point of what we're saying. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, well, we were saying the Brian Ferry thing, and we're talking oh, about he, he, Mr. Dan. He to, said, "Oh, it's okay." He goes, "It's okay." You know, every Love Connie performance is a unique experience. Yeah, and I said. You know what? You could not be more right. Whether it's tripping over something and you know, it is it is so fun to be a bull. There is part of me that is it's so much fun to be a bull in a china cabinet yeah. in the sense of that. And when I was watching some video of something that I actually really did enjoy looking at myself in and, and the look, cause I worked, I actually have never worked with a hair and makeup guy specifically on one show sure. where I said for this number, this and this and this, and it was very stressful and it was also very fun. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, yeah, the, I was enjoying myself and i thought you know when i you know you also have to come up with something clever when you share your stuff online and luckily for me i've never i'm not someone who's i don't know if it's my age but no one has ever really tried to bully or if they do say something snide like i can tell when some some guys will make age jokes or a hideous but it doesn't bother me under the guise of Connie because it's almost like I've invited that in uh -huh. because like you say, I'm, I'm in on the joke. I, yeah, I, but I also know what I'm selling yeah. and I do know that I can sell it. Whether you're buying it, it doesn't matter if they don't get Plenty it. Plenty of people yeah. are buying it. <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be someone who doesn't get it and then yeah. wants to judge it on merits that have no, or, 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 or guidelines. No yeah. No yeah. Again, yeah. like, like the, what is he going to do when he finds out you have a dick? <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. like the, really not the well, point. It's, yeah, it's so like, I'm sorry you didn't, there's uh, yeah. never, he's, he's in love with her. Yeah. There's I'm sorry. Like, your comprehension level is yeah, uh, does, so yeah. low. It's just an extremely large clitoris. And <laughs> who would turn that away? You know what I yeah. mean? Like whatever. Um, but yeah, there is, yeah, there's, there's some, there's something about a appreciating the evolution. Uh, like even talking about what we were talking on about pitch earlier. Yeah. I was going to mention about 
uh, it's funny to listen to Debbie sing some of the old songs. And sometimes I'll play them and I'm like, oh, she's dropped the key. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. That's that is she still sings Heart of Glass and Rapture in the same key. It's just her vocals are have matured, you know. And the thing about her live is she's so much. Well, listen, she's in her 70s now. So, you know, sometimes there can be. And also it's all the. I've seen some TV performances where, you know, she is relying on earpieces or oh, she, as a she lot, does the in-ear a, monitors. A well, she's had, you know, hearing loss. That's why oh, Clem, God. That's well, why Clem Burke the, has yeah. the glass cage the, around Could you him. imagine, like, my favorite, I mean, I love him. He's my favorite band member but, after but, Debbie. But, but, but being two feet but away God, from oh, all I that. I imagine. Couldn't and imagine. the amps and everything. I mean, I have tinnitus and I have to wear earplugs when I go to precinct and everything. And, and just, yeah. You know, because it's just too loud. And I'm but, really lucky because I have been a volume freak too. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I don't feel like I've suffered. Well, I also play drums. And, oh, and so yeah. being that close to a snare drum, you're going to screw your ears up a little. Yeah. Yeah. So I always make sure to run my headphones not too high. Uh, if I'm ever anywhere that's too loud, I just leave if I don't have yeah. the option of earplugs. Like an Iggy Pop show, I should have left because it was just too loud. Oh, and- I definitely can't handle being in front of any speaker, you know. It, the, no, Do not go see Curve at, <laughs> oh, at I remember Roseland hearing about, and sit in front of the speakers, you know. I remember, you know, My Bloody Valentine, that whole thing, mm-hmm. like they're going to make you deaf. Oh, I'm like, God. nothing could please me less than that. I couldn't <laughs> care less about that. I would, I would say so far away from their show. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you wear earplugs, apparently you're going to be damaged. Mm-hmm. The other thing about Debbie Harry's lyrics, um, they, like you were talking about, songs like um, uh, What Accidents Never Happen or um, The Hardest Part. Oh, see, and that song does not get any love whatsoever. It's so brilliant. It's, it's, like, it's a it's film. One of my favorite is one of my favorite. That video is my favorite. That yeah. song is my favorite. Those lyrics are nonsensical and so cool. And then, but it's about a bank robbery. Yes. Yeah. And it's but she's she again like with um, American Gigolo with Call Me. She's talk. She's approaching these characters. Or that she's singing about because I also the thing that's also great about her is she also always sings from third person like they yeah wow who knew she was right <laughs> on the 50 years before the gender nonconform or you know what I mean uh, Debbie's there you know but that's isn't that what's great now you know you well the things that you can look at gender nonconformist please go listen to Debbie Harry lyrics now she was singing from, <laughs> well, but I think <laughs> well and then and then the first person ones too like she's talking about um, that's the other thing I love is the when someone commits to a character in first person lyrics mm-hmm. uh particularly if they're pre- uh, possibly edgy subject matter or difficult subject matter or they're not a likable person or they're a creep you know like prince's song strange relationship is one of the most disturbing or did you ever, songs ever. notice debbie's lyrics to love at the pier have you ever i don't think i don't think it's from uh plastic letters Oh, okay. All right. And I, the, the first two albums I, d- I tend to not listen to as much. Because they're Richard Goddard ones. I, I just don't like them as much as the Chapman records. I We know they're... I always say that the first album is straight up 50s throw, throwback. And it's funny when you read her book. Now, okay. I uh, now, now I'm about to get things a little... I'm about to get 1975 a little mishmashed. Because I saw that wonderful Susie Quattro documentary called Susie Q. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you? If you haven't seen that, I haven't that seen that yet. Is but a must. But of course, she I'm a Chapman freak. Blow, so yes. Well, she. 
oh my god those chapman productions of just the shrillness in her voice but yeah they have footage of her playing Tallulah bankhead on stage like from really 15 20 years ago she is she's pulling off Tallulah, but she is amazing <laughs> Because then you go back and you remember Leather Tuscadero from yeah, Happy Days. Sure. Well, did you know that Debbie Harry was the original? They were like, no, she was the choice. And I don't remember if no, it was. It was in the Susie Q documentary, of which Debbie is also in that documentary. Yeah. Um, but someone, someone, maybe it was whoever managed Susie back then, and Joan, you know, and all the Runaways and all those girls back then, and they were saying, "Hey, do you know?" Uh, the casting directors from Happy Days were like, oh, you know, we have this part, you know, she's this tough leather girl, and we wanted to know if you could, you know, get word to Debbie Harry or her people want to bring her in. And he goes, well, that doesn't sound like Debbie at right. all, but it does sound like Susie. <laughs> and I love that, you know, yeah. but you think, isn't that wild that even as early as 75, like when Blondie would be out playing at the Whiskey, yeah. there will be casting directors that will go and see that show. And, and be you had about. to have saw, seen Debbie Harry on stage if you were in LA yeah. and just been like- Transfixed. You know, yeah. as, as evil as Terry Ellis was at Chrysalis, I loved him in the behind the music back when No Exit came out. Yeah when he was just saying i saw debbie on stage and said oh my god that woman is a star and granted christine goes and that was the voice of the devil because anyone any <laughs> male executive yeah. yeah i couldn't imagine how gross that guy you know imagine him going oh you know just seeing dollar signs yeah. you know and trying to get her away from the well band. the manager was trying to oh, do that divide oh, and conquer God. too those guys the, the, they really chef got screwed gordon. over no 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 chef gordon was a good guy well because they were uh, remember that was alice remember well, Ro the, roadie which was so wonderful and roadie, those were all great, chef's clients that's right roadie so there. for those who don't know listening roadie's a oh, great peter leads peter, peter leads is the, the asshole peter yeah. leads and he Screwed them out of so much money. Yeah. He got money at oh, in yeah. perpetuity. They on their all stuff. got once. No, listen, the Nelly. Oh, we we all got one fourth, and we were a get. We never made a dime. You, no one is making money getting one sixth. Yeah. Of anything right right, especially a punk band like Blondie. Yeah. You know, and then I also think I also love that quote that Terry. Terry Ellis has it so that I could only imagine how just ugh, just relentless it must have been for Debbie, where he would have to go, I'm sorry, Clem, they don't want to talk to you. <laughs> they want to talk to Debbie, you know? And, you know, as the guys in the band, it's just, you know, I... Well, you know, some I, of the guys in the band got got angry that she got all the attention, but well, Christine always understood. Again, it's like, how do you not? Again, it's not like you're this. taking it yeah. for, and that that's just that thing of being one of the pool of the CBGBs. Whether you were Tish and Snooky, you know who, or um, my other favorite, uh, Los Angelino. Now that I always love seeing um, Lisa, Gary Valentine's girlfriend, oh, okay. that took the act. Francis, gosh. I see her at Christmas time. Lisa, oh my gosh. Oh my God, Lisa, if you, um, Lisa Jane Persky. There we go. I'm so sorry, Lisa, if you're listening out there. 
slap the shit out of me <laughs> if you ever see me on the street. Um, she dated Gary, you know, she was like 16 and took the first professional shots of Blondie. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, I think she's on Instagram, but she's fascinating. I love her. And, you know, she was in Cotton Club and Peggy Sue got married. Oh, wow. uh, oh she's also fabulous in like the Big Easy. I mean, someone oh she's in the great santino oh wow uh, santini yeah uh someone who did like i said i may have only gotten a handful of auditions but they were good auditions. <laughs> she's someone who it's like she's you know she's done a lot of shit but her sh shit's good shit you know yeah she just winds up in good shit but um i th i think uh, you know I guess if you were in the band Blondie and if you, you know, you know, members, remember she had Patti Smith's drummer. Fred Smith was the original drummer. I think it was Fred Smith. Well, yeah, there so was some kind of. I would imagine that if you, if you're on the tour bus with Debbie and sleeping in the same dirty bed as Debbie, you might take her for granted. You know, but well, I think it's ego well, though too because it it's is. Like, oh my God! Well, Clem, I mean, <laughs> he's not even that nice in person as a fan when you're just trying to like, hey, you're my favorite fucking drummer. Uh -huh. Could you at least just look like you appreciate? Yeah, I met him twice, and I thought something? it was strange because Chris Stein introduced me to Clem, and Clem was still a little. But Chris, funny. on the other hand, no, Chris is like one of the loveliest people. Yeah, I've oh, ever met. I was an employee. I taught. Uh, group exercise and i also worked out at the gym that she remember she uh took the time off to get chris well that's right and yeah. then she had put on some weight you know and then uh she was you know healthy yeah. around rock bird yeah you know and then but by the time like 88 she started really slimming down because i remember there was a vanity fair photo shoot of her in lingerie as she was doing her muscles and i was like ooh, i was like she's really getting in shape is that around the time she did the sarah lee ad yes the sarah lee ad that was she was she was still a little, little i like to say zoftig oh sure to use a yeah. nice new york uh yiddish term um but by deaf, dumb, and blonde, oh, she was back to lean body and like looking hot. And you know, she was 40, 44, you know, mm -hmm. so it was really awesome. Well, the guy that owned the gym I worked at was her trainer, yeah. Brian Moss, um, who worked out with who worked with bodybuilders. His Instagram is amazing because he does photography now, but it's all body, extreme bodybuilder photography. Oh, sure. It's really amazing stuff. And the first time, I, I don't know. He, all, I guess, I always talked about her. So um, he introduced me to her at the the gym, and then my best girlfriend. I also used to date Brian. So for my birthday, she, tattoos were the latest thing. <laughs> Everybody was getting tattoos and belly button piercings, and she had Brian bring Debbie to Rising Dragon Tattoos, mm -hmm. Darren Rosa, who I actually just found online on Instagram last night. He still does tattoos. I went through an old, my old 90s. Oh, it's weird finding your old trick books, you know, <laughs> and all these people. And I'm going, who is this person? Yeah. But I did. I found several people late last night. One of those weird post-show opening things that have sat on your desk for all through COVID, I could have done it. But last night was the time to well, finally go through yeah. that old book. And I found all these people. So they're all on my mind. And she actually showed up at the tattoo parlor. And my friend, Eric Smith, who actually was the inventor of the slouch sock. Do you remember the Axel? No. Remember the socks that Axel Rose would wear in concert? And they were uh, okay. The big, Those, bunchy yes, I do, sock. Yeah. E.G. Smith. Um, and he 
was one of my first friends in New York. I was very lucky to have a couple of really amazing gay male artists. He also was good friends with uh, David Spada, who designed Freedom Rings. And David since has died of AIDS and everything. But these were also some of the first, um, like Eric was one of the first HIV positive, still living, like never went on any AZT or drug that would have really fucked you up and killed you. It was all holistic. And he's still living today in San Francisco. And I, I always like to also think about what a gift that was just as a gay man to, I didn't lose a lot of, I didn't know a lot of people yeah. who died. I've since learned and now I know more stories. But around that time when I came to New York and I know from my girlfriend, Nora, uh, who's also her Instagram is amazing at Nora Burns, New York City, you will learn about so many people that are not alive anymore, really fabulous people that she's kept wonderful photographs. And it's just great to I love that about social media. That's, yeah. You know, there's archives. Well, it's of like those Scavula, like I say, like the Maple Thorn yeah, it's books like going that to the we Walden would books. have to go to Walden books and yeah. expose ourselves to, to, you know, it's all there on Instagram if you're looking for those types of things and right, not like there's an account like this, news. right? This, it was Hollywood. And yeah. 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 Oh, God. One. I love the vintage Hollywood stuff and just uh, seeing all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know where. Oh, I we was were talking going. about the the gym and then Debbie Harry. Oh, the Debbie Harry. Uh, a tattoo. So, yeah. Oh, so Eric had um he had just gotten one of the first digital cameras. It was brand new back then. Yeah. To where he would be filming. He also uh he just started a YouTube channel and is uploading a lot of those old videos. Oh, from, great. He did Wigstock when we the first Wigstock oh, wow. that was on the pier. Yeah. He did that and we we're riding around in his stretch. He had this stretch checker cab, <laughs> which was just it was just in it was just such great times. Yeah. And um so he was filming it all, and it would be the thing of people who like people would think he was taking a photograph, but he, or they would be like, "What is that?" And he goes, "It's yeah. this new digital camera." Well, he filmed Debbie Harry at the tattoo parlor and me getting this tattoo. Oh wow! And I think it's up on his YouTube. And this was Debbie in 1995 when not a lot was going on. Mm-hmm. She was just about to start doing the jazz passengers thing. Yeah, uh, which I say that's what makes her vocals so great today. Yeah. And the fact that she's in her seventies and she can still sing these songs because uh, most singers don't, they don't you, only Mick Jack. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a, it's the, hard. Yes. There's a very few a that rock, can do the, a rock. Band. Yeah. You can be Barb, you know, the Barbara Streisands and the Whitney Houston's and the Mariah Carey's and the Christina Aguilera, you know, she's should abs. It, Poor Christina. Yeah, it's just like I don't know what you know. I always feel like you know, with the Britney thing, they just they went for the blow up doll because she is so lovely. I get it. Uh, Connie is from Louisiana too. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great to have all the different things. I mean, it's fun to it, have. It is, and I really, I was so. I didn't like all. I just again, like I get around that competitive thing. It's just like. Don't try and be Britney because Christina, Britney doesn't even have to try. She is. Mm-hmm. 
what you're trying to be. And and it's fine for you to be that if yeah. you want to be that. Just like I feel like I feel like I'm Sinead O'Connor now going back in time <laughs> telling Miley Cyrus, you ain't gotta wear that. You don't want to. You know, it's not about that, but it's about like you have something really special and it's called vocals. Well, I think everyone should be vocals. as much of their individual self as you know? they should be as a singer, really. Yeah. What was your Chris Stein story? Oh, um, well, yeah. So I met Debbie then, and uh, that was for my birthday. Got the tattoo. A month, it was literally, yeah, my birthday is December 15th, and then she played Don Hill's uh, New Year's Eve that night. And I remember she was on stage, and just to quickly wrap up my Debbie, because no, I love telling these Debbie stories. Uh, she was on stage. And I saw her go out the little side door of Don Hills. Mind you, I lived just a couple of blocks down. I lived at 73 Thompson Street, which is now that fancy hotel, Okay, uh, you know, in the 90s down there. So it's it's long gone, but that's where Don Hill, Squeezebot, that's Michael Schmitz. Yeah. Uh, someone else you should follow on Instagram because he has fabulous New York stories. And too. you know, uh, an unreleased episode from about two years ago with uh, Devin Green co-hosting is with Michael oh, Schmitz. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of episodes that just sort of got that fell through the cracks oh, for real for different you know for various reasons yeah. you know you tape too much and then you're move uh, traveling and then the, the pandemic and whatever yeah. but so the michael schmidt episode yeah is coming oh at some fantastic point. Yeah, yeah it can always come back and that'll be that, even more interesting exactly you know? yeah and i'd like to tape with him again too because we only got oh yeah only so far really he's, awesome stuff and he's his whole life is so fascinating yes and we only got to a certain point in it yeah well, if you ever talk to him make sure you talk about because my girlfriend nora also has a similar story because Michael's from Kansas City, and the first, his first, I think when he came to New York, it may have been the night of Diana Ross's concert in Central Park. Yes, and that's he right. Went, and it's just the best story. And my girlfriend Nora was there, and she has the best. So it's also great to hear everyone's different <laughs> perspective on, these. on yeah. yes and he they does tell all, that story on the show he, that's, oh yes I, yeah. it's a great story and i always I, every time i see him i'm like you have to tell me the story i want to <laughs> be the little kitten sitting at your feet you know well, this is a good reminder um, for me to get that episode know, out i didn't know i didn't know i knew him because i would see him in spin magazine with debbie yeah but it it i was eyes again like we were talking about gender being a gay male actor and having to do audition things uh you know back then i did not feel cool enough at all to be you know at like jackie 60 uh -huh. you know kitty boots was this wonderful stylist and she was the door person at jackie 60 and you no one got by her <laughs> you weren't dressed right well she wound up being a regular spinning client of mine at Crunch because I was the only instructor there that was always playing Brian Ferry and Roxy Music. <laughs> so I had all the cool girls that, you know, liked the glam gods. Yeah. So I was able to kind of live through her by being kind of her trainer. And I also would always go to the leather bar. I'm going to get to the Chris Stein story. No, no, I this is fantastic. Uh, you've got me, no, you've got me chatting my head off. I, I mean, I'm happy about that. This is a wonderful um, time. And, and I'm going to tell I, the story about Debbie Harry ducking out of the side of Squeezebox. And I might we, get back to the story about the drag audition, <laughs> how I would get some of those. They're all in my head swimming around right now. This is what I love. I'm a I, I just, if I can Sorry. just pause to use the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Would you yes. like a, a break? I would love a bathroom yeah, break. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a bathroom break. 